I said, we had a great week at camp, and uh, all in all, I don't know if you guys are familiar with how all that works. Kids camp is um, is split into two halves, and so we went Monday or Sunday through Wednesday. Uh, had about 600, 650 kids there, and then on Wednesday, they switch out and do the whole camp again uh, with about another 600, 650 kids. So in all, there's about 12 hundred kids that showed up over the week, 67 profession of faith, and man, God was doing some really great things with our kids through kids camp, and uh, I want you to continue to pray for those who went, and uh, kind of the things that God was stirring in their heart, I think that uh, kids ministry is super important, it kind of took me back to my student ministry days, I love getting to go to camp with these kiddos, and and I see uh, from the last three years, uh, these kids who were going into it, and now they're, some of those kids are going into the eighth grade now, and it's just kind of weird to kind of look back on that, but it's just really, really good experience, really good thing for our kids to get to do, and I want you to continue to support that ministry. Last week, uh, Dustin preached for me, and he preached to talk about kind of a little bit about um, the the change of the guard, investing into the next generation, and how uh, Moses kind of kind of brought in Joshua into the equation, and uh, and we are finally, if you've been with us all summer, into our final week of wandering the desert. Some of y'all feel like we've been wandering in uh, Exodus and and. Uh, in numbers for a long time, but today we're going to wrap all this up. We're going to see uh, kind of the big picture, how it looks. We can't we can't look at the story of the Israelites and not look at the the full complete story. And so we've seen them go from slaves in Egypt all the way through uh, entering into the promised land and what God has finally given them and, and their ability to finally go and to do. And we've seen them try to replace God by the golden calf. Y'all remember that? We've, we've seen them essentially say no when God said go. We've seen them disobey on every uh, level that they possibly can. Uh, we've seen some really good things that they've done, and we've seen some really dumb things that they've done. We look at it on our perspective and go, oh, how could they? They are so crazy. But in the same breath, we do kind of the same things. And that's what we've been learning throughout this summer is that we have a lot in common with those Israelites. We uh, do a lot of the same things that they did, and we should be learning from their mistakes, not repeating uh, their mistakes. And so today I've got uh, kind of the end of the story, kind of the wrap up of what we've been talking about for the last, oh gosh, two months at least. Um, and uh, it's almost like, I'll just be honest, it's almost like three little mini sermons in themselves. But to get through everything we've got to get through, we've got to talk about each one of these. And I've, I've entitled this morning, uh, The Good, the Surprising, and the Unthinkable. Okay, The Good, the Surprising, and the Unthinkable. Because sometimes we see these events played out in our lives. And, and sometimes they're good things, sometimes they're surprising, and sometimes they're unthinkable. We, we talk about things like... Um, like the Titanic. Y'all remember uh, that, that when the Titanic was actually sinking, there was a ship that refused to answer the distress call because they, they could not wrap their mind around the fact that the unsinkable ship was sinking, right? Um, we were just now watched a short little documentary on uh, Chernobyl and, and the, the meltdown of that nuclear power plant and, and, and how the, the Soviets were looking at other Soviets going, that did not happen. What you saw, you did not see, because they just could not imagine that event taking place. Um, I, I remember 9-11. I was in the middle of Africa watching a 13-inch color TV with a, with a, a Swahili-speaking anchor person trying to tell me what happened in the United States, and I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around it, right? It was, just, it was just absolutely crazy. Sometimes these good, surprising, unthinkable things all happen at once, like kids can't. So our boys have a unhealthy obsession with being first in line. Like they want to be first in line for every meal. They had a rotation set up where uh, Brody and, I don't remember, Brody and Wren maybe got up early for breakfast and they got up at the front of the line so that they could be first in line and everybody else would kind of follow in behind them. Uh, they had a, ro a rotation for lunch and they had a rotation for dinner every day. They knew which two guys were supposed to go hold their place in line so that they could be first in line. And sometimes they were like at the door, sometimes they were about four or five people back because what we learned is if you're about 20 people back, you end up being about... 150 people back because everybody else kind of comes in with their group and it takes a little bit longer to eat. Now, here's what's crazy is you have the same amount of time. They're not going to run out of food. Like they call for seconds every time. And so there's plenty of food. There's plenty of time. And they just want to be first. And so I, being the good pastor I was, would be like, go, see you. Have a good time. Stand in line. I don't care. And so 
in the mornings, I would go and I'd drink coffee. I'd go to the cafeteria early. I'd drink coffee, do my Bible study, and, and work a little bit. And, uh, and I'd get up and, and, and peek out the window to make sure the boys were in line. And inevitably, they always were. And they were never very far back in line. And so the, the adults who are in the cafeteria at this point, they would say, you know, if y'all want to go ahead and fix your plate, you can fix your plate and eat. And then we'll open the doors and let all kids come in. And so a couple of times I was like, yeah. And so I'd go through and I'd get my food and I'd sit down and hold a table and they'd, all the guys would come sit and we'd eat uh, whatever meal it was together. Well, this particular time, I think it was the lunch, and, uh, and, and the boys had been sitting in line for a long time. They were at the door. They were very front in line. They wanted to be the very first persons in the door. They had no idea what we were eating. They just wanted to eat it first, okay? And so... Uh, they call all the adults together and like, hey, if you want to go ahead and eat, uh, you can go ahead and eat. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I said, my boys are right outside that door. I said, I'm going to wait and I'm going to get my food with them. And we're going to go sit down together and we're going to eat this meal together. And all of those are like, okay, sucker. That's fine with me. And so they went ahead and got their plates and, and they all knew that I was waiting for our boys. And then they opened the door. And when they opened the door, our boys <laughs> were waiting Brody immediately hit the play button on his phone to start the opening song of The Lion King. The I'm not going to sing it. Y'all know what, whatever that is. And Jude is holding Ren Reap up in the air like The Lion King. And they open the door and it's just this. And I'm like. And all the adults look at me and I'm like, yep, that's our boys. That's them, you know, good, surprising, and unthinkable can all happen at the same time. And I just was like, really? Just get our burrito and go, right? It's just the funniest, because their minds, but listen, sometimes in our world, surprising and unthinkable can happen, and it seems to happen out of the blue, because it always seems to happen when things are going really well. When things are going, seems to be going really good, the unthinkable can happen. The, the illness can hit. The sickness can hit one of you or your family. Something can happen crazy with your kids. Your job can just walk in one day and say, okay, we're cutting, and, and you're one of the ones we're cutting. Um, your, your spouse can come home out of, seems like out of nowhere and say, it's, I'm done. This is over. We're not doing this anymore. Because life happens, and life happens in such kind of crazy ways sometimes. It seems like it's just unthinkable. How could these things happen to us. And we sit back and we say, that, that can't happen to me. This doesn't happen in our family, right? I don't know if y'all have ever said that before. This doesn't happen in our family. This, this can't happen to me. Why is this going on? So today what I want us to look at is just as shocking and unbelievable and kind of out of left field things can happen, that's exactly how the story of the Israelites wrap up. And, and it all starts, we're just going to go in order, it all starts with the good. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 21. Uh, Joshua 21 is kind of the, the backside of all the things that happen. If you've not ever read the book of, of Joshua, then please, please do that because this is incredible. Joshua, if you don't know, is kind of been Moses' right-hand man. He kind of, uh, Moses kind of tagged him along with a lot of different really incredible things. He, he got to go about halfway up on Mount Sinai, if you read through the Sinai incidents in, in Exodus. Um, he kind of got to do some of these really neat things. And, and Joseph was the, uh, he was, or Joshua was the military commander. He was, he was the guy that the Israelites needed to lead them into the promised land because he had the, the mind of a military. If you remember uh, the, the, the instance where Moses' hands were raised and, and the Israelites were, be able to, were beating, I think it was the Malachites at that time, and every, every time Moses' hands were in the air, the Israelites were, were winning. Well, who was on the ground fighting? was Joshua, okay? Joshua is the military guy. He's on the guy on the ground, boots in the dirt, uh, the one who is fighting and making things happen. And so as you begin to read through the book of Joshua, you see all these incredible things happen. They, they, they cross over the Jordan River. Um, they go to the walls of Jericho. Remember the walls of Jericho fall after they march around them all those different days. Uh, and then city after city and town after town, God just comes in and cleans house. And he uses Joshua to lead the people to take the land, because people lived there. 
And so they had to come in. They had to kind of take over. And, and the book of Joshua is full of those kinds of stories about angels and about sun stand still moments. And it's just incredible. So if you don't read uh, your Bible, then read Joshua because it's really, really interesting. It's really, really good. Um, and so as we go through all this, we're going to see uh, God continue to be faithful. God continue to do all this incredible things. And then in Joshua 21, one of the greatest things is written. And it's this kind of great, incredible summary statement. It's in verse 43, should be on the screen, it says this. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their forefathers, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their forefathers. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord handed all of their enemies over to them. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Isn't that great? Isn't that incredible? Not not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. If you keep going back in that verse, it says that he gave them rest on every side. Now, there's two different thoughts on this, and this is just my thoughts, okay? So this is a mad overall commentary of this passage of Scripture. Rest is incredible. If you read back in Exodus, uh, when God promises them this land, he promises to give them rest, uh, which is an interesting thought because I believe this, this extends beyond just the physical rest that we sometimes long for, especially if you spend a week at kids camp, you just want to rest, right? But this is obvious rest from their enemies, right? They're no longer having to fight. They are here, they're settled, and they can all kind of take this, uh, this you know, physical deep breath of, you know, we're not having to fight any anymore. But I think this involves another layer of that as well. Another layer or two that we have this mental and emotional and spiritual rest that can come along with being right where God wants us to be. So he gave them rest on every side. I think that's physical every side, but I think that's also internally every side. There's just this, there's just this big deep breath that comes from when you come home. Y'all know how that is. You've been gone for a while, and, and it's not even that that home is the greatest. I don't know, your home may be the greatest, but it, it's just that home is home. And it just feels good to be home. It's, it's your own bed. It's your own smells. It's your own chair. It's your own couch. It's your own whatever. And it's just, it's just that when you're home, man, there's just that rest that comes. And I believe that when they all were where they were supposed to be, that when, when all the good promises of God had been fulfilled, that there was just this, this big, deep breath of rest that came over all of the Israelites. I believe that that rest is a good thing. And then it says this, everything that God has promised came to be. Listen, for I believe for some of us this morning, that one verse is enough. We could just pack up, we could grab our kids, and we could go back home. Because to know that when God promises something, God delivers it is an incredible statement. It's something that we don't, we just kind of gloss over and we just kind of read and think, well, okay, yeah, of course. But, but really, Everything that God promises, He does. And in this moment, there's this, this, there's this big, deep breath. Every piece of land, every inhabited town, every people group either were pushed out or they were dominated to the point they weren't going to fight back anymore. And God says, this is the land I'm giving to you, and it's yours. So just take, take a rest. Wouldn't it be great if that's how the story ended. It kind of seems like it's a summary statement, right? And for, for a little bit, I guess it, it really is that, that it's kind of, that would be the perfect ending of the book of Joshua, but it's not. What we see happen is, is that there's another part, there's another layer. But, but this part, don't miss, that everything God promised, He gave them. Can you imagine wandering for 40 years hoping for something and you finally get it? Can you imagine all the stories that you've heard and and that whole generation having to die and then coming back in and fighting all the fights and all the battles and, and, and seeing the walls fall and all the cities be delivered into your hands and finally it's over and it's done 
And I think for some of us who are wandering in our desert, there's a point where this, this, this gives us so much hope that at some point it's all going to be done. And we're going to have rest. And so for some of you, we've been talking about being in our spiritually dry places. Some of you have been in this for months. Some of you have been in it for years. Some of you have just kind of come out of it. Whatever it is, know that at some point it will be done. And you will have rest. So why did God keep his promise? Was it because the Israelites are so great and so awesome? Was it because they were a consistent example of faithfulness and, and, and what, uh, what trusting in God looks like? Was it because um, they, they never struggled with doubt or fear or worry? No. God's promises came true because He is the fulfillment of the promise. He is awesome. He is the consistent example of faithfulness. He never struggles with worry or doubt or fear or anxiety. He is where our promise is held. And so therefore, whenever He fulfills it, it's all fulfilled by Him, not by us. We have nothing to do with the fulfillment of the promise. Listen, some of us are worried about things in life and things that we feel like God's promised us, but we just don't ever see them coming true. We don't ever see God really fulfilling whatever it is that is, whether it's with our kids or with our job or with our finances or with our marriage, and we can't see the end of it. And you know what that worry is? That worry says, God, my problem's bigger than what you can handle because I don't trust you. And you go, well, that's not it. I totally trust God, man. I'm a good church-going Christian. I am here this morning. We are in our pew, and our whole family has dress pants on. We are good, right? But really, what worry is, is saying that God can't handle it. And God can't take care of what, my my problem's too big for God, so I'm going to have to worry about it. And God says, don't, you don't understand. Everything that I promise will come true. Everything that I said will happen, will happen. We just have to trust His timing. Do you think that that generation wanted to wait 40 years? No. They had to. Do you think they had to fight, they wanted to fight their way through, or they just wanted to walk right into something that was already set up waiting for them? Yeah, of course they wanted to just walk right in. But God said, there's some action you've got to do because at some point I'm going to fulfill my promise. It's all going to come. True, and for some of us this morning, we just need to sit back and rest in that. Go, okay, God, whatever it is, whatever it is I'm worried about, whatever it is I'm, I'm anxious over, whatever it is I continue to come back to and try to take back away from you, God, just take it, and I trust you because you're bigger than my problem. And your promise is bigger than my fear. And so we have this good, We have this, every one of the Lord's goods promises came to fruition. We have this incredible passage. And now it's time for something surprising, right? Because every time something surprising comes, it's because everything's going really good, right? And so let's just keep reading. What we see is right after this statement, the Israelites have an issue, right? Surprise, surprise, surprise. This is kind of the theme of the Old Testament, right? And, and let me give you a little, let me give you a little history here because if you don't understand this, then this don't make sense. So we have uh, Father Abraham and many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, right? Right arm, left arm, uh, all that kind of stuff. Abraham had Isaac and, uh, and Isaac had Jacob and Jacob has the 12 boys. Jacob has the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And so these 12 tribes have land allotments in the promised land. And so all of them, except for the Levites, let's give you that a little bit. Levites were kind of like the church guys. They were supported by the other tribes. So the Levites did not get land. So you're going, well, there's 11 now. Well, there's not because Joseph's tribe gets split in half between his two boys, Manasseh and Ephraim. So we're back up to 12. Okay. So we have all the other boys, Reuben and Gad and Iskar and, uh, oh gosh, Judah and I'm not going to list them all out because I'm going to forget one. Uh, and then uh, Noah on the Levites and, and, and Joseph gets split into two, uh, his two boys. So we're back to 12. So with all the different uh, tribes, different, the families, they all have a specific allotment of land. Except for um, Manasseh and Reuben and Gad, they all say, hey, listen. Remember when we were here like 40 years ago, we made a deal with Moses. And you go all the way back to, I think this is in uh, Numbers chapter 25, I think. Uh, Whenever they got there the first time, 
and they had not, they had not yet disobeyed. Uh, they looked at Moses and said, "Listen, Moses, all this land on the east side of the Jordan River, man, this is good land, and we got a lot of herds and we got a lot of stuff, and this land is perfect for us. Can we just have this land and not have to go across the river into the the quote unquote promised land that God's going to give us? Can we just stay where we are?" And Moses says, "Yeah, you can do that if if you and all your men." Go across and help fight. You gotta, you gotta help conquer the land. You can't just stay here and not go help everybody, all your other brothers. And they said, "We'll, we'll do that. We'll, we'll do it. Just whenever it's all said and done, can we come back on the east side of the Jordan?" He said, "Sure." And so now that we've come into the promised land, now we're forty years later, and and Joshua's led us in, uh, and and God's fulfilled all His promise. These same guys come back and they're like, "Hey, uh, Joshua, I don't know if Moses told you or not." But he said we have that land on the other side of the river, and 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 Joseph said, or and uh, Joshua says, yes, I know that. Listen, go back home, go go to the land that Moses told you you could have. Be fruitful and multiply. Do your thing. Uh, thank you for all your service. I appreciate the help that you've done. Everybody's kind of going to their homes. You go back to your homes and settle there and raise your families and raise your flocks and be be prosperous. Okay. And so all these people are like, great, we're ready to go back. And so the half-tribe of Manasseh um, and, Gad and uh, Gad and Reuben, they all go back. And, and they're on the other side of the river, and they're ready to kind of settle in. And so Joshua chapter 22 sets all that up, and he tells them what's going on. And in, in verse 5, Joshua tells them to be very careful. Listen, read this. Be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to obey His commands, to hold fast to Him and serve Him with all your heart and all your soul. Then Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their homes. And so he's given his blessing. He said, just, just remember that God's still God, even though you're on the other side of the river. And in verse 10, something kind of crazy happens. When they, this is the people who are going back to the other side of the Jordan River, came to Goliath near the Jordan, the land of Canaan, the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, built an imposing altar there by the Jordan. And when the Israelites heard they had built an altar on the border of Canaan and at Goliath near the Jordan on the Israelite side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. War. Like, this is civil war. This is, this is Israelites against Israelites. Because this altar, this says imposing altar, was seen as a division. Like this group that was going across built their own altar. They did their own thing. This is a break in relationship with the rest of the Israelites. This is a break in relationship in, in their relationship to the tabernacle where the altar of God is. Like they built a replica closer to them. And the, the rest of the Israelites said, no, we're not going to do that. Why? When everything was going so well, why would they do that? It makes absolutely no sense. Have you ever had this happen relationally in your own life? where things seem to be going really well. Maybe it's with your extended family. Maybe it's with your friend group. Maybe it's with your own spouse, right? And then there's this imposing altar, this imposing obstacle, this break in relationship, this thing that the other person put up. And it's become kind of a wall between you. It's the, it's the elephant in the room. It's the seemingly immovable, wrong thing. And let's face it, because we're just all real people here and we just talk about real things, it's always something that they did, right? It's nothing that you did. You didn't do anything wrong. It's something that they did. And they put this imposing thing in your relationship. And emotionally, relationally, and internally, it means war. How dare they? How could they do this to me? You know what you do when, you, when that happens? Because what happens next in this kind of moment in our life is what defines the relationship. It, it really uh, it, it, it puts boundaries on it moving forward. Some of you do this. Some of you call your friends and your family. 
right? The very first thing when something crazy happens relational with somebody and there seems to be this wall, you call up your best friend. You're like, can you believe what so-and-so just did to me? And the other person goes, I knew it. They've always been like that. I remember in junior high when they did, because that's what we do, right? Or, or you call your best friend, they're like, oh, he's always been a jerk. He's still a jerk. I can't stand him. And you talk and you talk and you talk and you talk and you talk. Or you internalize it. You become this passive-aggressive list maker, right? And you smile and you grin and bear it because you're good church people. And you just hate that they're in the same room as you are. And you make these lists in your mind. Thank you for the invitation to the birthday party that I never got. And thank you for this and thank you for that. And ooh, I'm never going to forget the way you didn't speak to me today. And I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And, and you begin to make these lists. Or some of us, hopefully some of us, like just address the issue. Like, listen, what's up? I don't understand what's going on here. This is what I feel. This is what I feel like's happened. There's this kind of thing right here and I don't understand it. And we sit down, we try to talk about it. Even if it's a, even if it's a resolution to disagree, right? Agree to disagree, right? There's, there's got to be some kind of communication around it. Or we are like the Israelites. We, are, we blow up. We're ready for war. We're ready to fight it out. I don't know how you, hopefully you guys aren't having fights. But maybe there's just this kind of back and forth, give it this, give it that kind of, you know, the, uh, the George Bush quote. Y'all remember the George Bush quote? And I, I have it written down so I don't miss it up. Fool me once, shame, shame on you. Fool me, you can't get fooled again. Kind of moment that George Bush said. It's this idea of I'm not going to go down this road again with you because I've done this before and we're going to fight it out. It happens when there's this imposing altar and how we react to that when there's this imposing, immovable break in relationship defines what that relationship's going to look like on the backside. The Israelites were ready for war. And honestly, that's not the surprising part. What's surprising is what happens next. And this is not on the screen because it's just a lot, but let's read it together. Okay, this is the same uh, chapter that we were in earlier, verse 13. So the Israelites sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, to the land of the Giles, to Reuben, to Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. With him they sent ten of the chief men, one from each of the tribes of Israel, each the head of a family division among the Israelite clans. So here's what they did. They sent their leaders. They sent Phinehas. Now Phinehas is Eleazar's son, and Eleazar is Aaron's son. This is Aaron the priest. This is the, the very first priest of Israel. This is his grandson. And they send him, and they send the heads of the families, the ten who are living on the other side of the river, and they send it to them and say, let's figure this out. Verse 15. When they went to Gilead, to Reuben, to Gad, and the other half-tribe of Manasseh, they said to them, The whole assembly of the Lord says, How can you break faith with the God of Israel like this? How can you turn away from the Lord and build yourselves an altar in rebellion against Him now? Was not the sin of Peor enough for us? Peor is in Numbers 25. This is where the Israelites kind of co-married the Moabites, and that's a big no-no. And there was a big plague and bad, okay? Up to this very day, we've not cleansed ourselves from that sin, even though a plague, there it is, fell on the community of the Lord. And now you're turning away from the Lord? If you rebel against the Lord today, tomorrow, He'll be angry with the whole community of Israel. Verse 19. If the land you possess, this is the most surprising part, listen to what they said. If the land you possess is defiled, come over to the Lord's land, where the Lord's tabernacle stands. And share the land with us. But do not rebel against the Lord or against us by building an altar for yourselves other than the altar of the Lord our God. What just happened? If you have been following the Israelites for, for the last few months that we've been following them, this is the most surprising thing that you can read. That they actually did something correct. They handled it correctly. This is what they said. They said, listen, if what you've got isn't what you want anymore, then come over here with us. God, well, listen, we'll share our land with you. We'll, we'll divide up and make sure that you have enough because we don't want this to be between us. Don't do this. This is, this is so wrong. Let's work something out. This is, church, this is growth during the wandering. 
We've been talking about the Israelites and how they wandered the desert for all these years and how they've made mistake after mistake after mistake. And here they finally, I believe, show some evidence of real emotional and spiritual depth and growth in their life. Listen, if this would have happened 35 to 45 years prior, you know what they would have done? They would have built that altar. The other tribes would have been mad enough. They would have walked over there. They would have burned down their cities. They would have killed every one of them. And then they would have complained to God about being thirsty when it was all said and done. But here, they can step back and they go, well, hang on a second, this is not right. Let's, let's address what's going on here because don't, don't do this. This is, this is so wrong. They're, they're trying to learn from their mistakes their shortcomings, and they're trying to reconcile with their brothers. And let me just say this, and this is the hard statement for the day. Just because you've been in a spiritually dry season of your life does not give you the right to destroy relationships with individuals that you are close to. I'm going to say that again. Just because you've been in a spiritually dry season of your life does not give you the right to destroy relationships with people that you are close to. It's not a license to act however you want and expect everybody to get over it. When we're in these dry seasons, we should be learning grace and mercy because we are literally modeling grace in our own life. God is giving us grace. Why would we not extend that? We should be, we should be extending forgiveness because God is extending forgiveness to us on the basis that we haven't maybe received in a long time because when we're spiritually dry, God is lavishing these things on us. And he's trying to draw us back into a right relationship with him. But what we oftentimes do is when we're dry, we just lash out and we act out however we want to. And we break relationship and we, t- and we cut people off. And we, we act in ways that we just think are so far beyond our ability to act. But, but, but we're, we're not okay right now, so it's okay for me to act like that. And I'm telling you right now, this is our example. It's not okay. And the Israelites did something right. They got it correct. They sat down and they were like, let's, let's make this right. Let's not do this to anybody. And, and just as surprising as that is, if you're reading the story of the Israelites, you should be that surprising as well. When you're in your spiritually dry season, you cannot burn bridges. You cannot shut people out. You still have to relationally relate to individuals, and you have to sometimes go back and say, I'm sorry for what I've done, I'm sorry for what I've said, I'm sorry for this imposing, immovable thing. I'm not going to do that. Let's sit down and talk about it. Now, just as surprising, let's look at the, the three tribes, the, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the, the half-tribe of Manasseh. Let's look at their response. Verse 21. Then Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh replied to the heads of the clans of Israel. This is what they said. The mighty one, God, the Lord, the mighty one, God, the Lord, he knows. And let Israel know if this had been in rebellion or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us this day. If we have built our own altar to turn away from the Lord and the burnt offerings and grain offerings uh, to sacrifice fellowship offerings on it, may the Lord himself call us into account. They're saying, whoa, 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 that's not what this is for. That's by no means what we're doing. We're not trying to be divisive. We're not trying to to, to put our own altar. We're not trying to do that at all. In the verse 24 through 34, uh, these guys explain why they built the altar. And it was this. They wanted to build an altar to say that in future generations, no matter what happens, listen, we're still a part of them. It was a misunderstanding. He said, we're not going to sacrifice on this. We're not going to do anything with this. This is just a reminder to us and to you that we're all still one big family here, even though we're on the other side of the river. And I know that sounds silly, like the other side of the river, get over it. But um, I think we have that issue right now, even with our own counties, right? On one side of the river versus the other side of the river. And so this is the same thing played out a couple of thousand years prior to this, okay? And so we have this, we have this altar, and, and Gad and Reuben and, Man- and Manasseh, they're going, no, 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 that's not what we meant. That's not, that's not at all what we meant. Listen, if that's the problem, then you have the, you have the right to come over here and kill us all. But God knows why we did this. It was a misunderstanding. I'm just guessing that the majority of those immovable objects in our relationships with people 
are 99% of the time built around a misunderstanding, about a, a miscommunication, maybe a move that you didn't quite understand that you felt like was just a stab in your back, but it was never intended to be. It was never meant to be like that. Most times we are ready to go to war over something that can be very easily talked out. What if, what if next time when that happens in our life, we did something surprising and we actually sat down and we communicated? The next time you saw that friend that makes your skin crawl, and you know that there's been this break in relationship because something that they said or they did or maybe you said or you did. What if you pull them aside and address the issue? Hey, man, what's going on? Things aren't right here. What can I do to make this right? Next time you and your spouse get in a knockdown drag out because we all do that. What if, what if next time that happens, you just stop and go, hey, listen, hang on a second. I think that I'm not understanding correctly or think maybe there's a misunderstanding here. Let's just talk about this. Because this is, what I, this is what I meant and this is what I think you understood. And this is what you meant and this is what I understood. And so can we not just, we not just work this out? Why, why, why don't we do that? It's easier to go to war. It's easier to blow up. It's really easier to just, I mean, just lay into somebody. Listen, I'm not going to say this. I'm not saying that people won't intentionally hurt you because they will. There are, there are people who have intentionally done and said and acted and reacted to you to hurt your feelings. I'm not saying that everybody has the greatest intentions. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the majority of the time, the majority of the time, what if we just stopped and said, hey, listen, I don't, I don't know if you meant it like this, but this really, this really hurt. And this, there's this wall and all that. And things aren't been, haven't been right in a while, and they're not right now. Can we, can we work through this? The surprising thing is that the Israelites did that. And they worked it out. They were like, okay, great. I'm, we're so sorry. We didn't, we didn't mean to, to imply. We, we just thought this was something more than what it was. And they were like, listen, it's not. And everybody went home. And the Bible says everybody went home happy. It's crazy. They went home and they were satisfied. The 10 elders and, and Phineas went home and they were like, this is what they said. And they were like, oh, good for them. Great. We're, we, you know, we are family, right? We're, we're singing a little song together. We're holding hands across the river. I don't know what they did, but they were excited. They were fine. Everybody was good. And so we have the good, we have the surprising, and then we have the unthinkable. And you're going, how in the world are we going to transition from this incredible moment? God's good promises have come to fruition. Everybody's happy. They're where they're supposed to be. How can it become unthinkable? Turn in your Bibles to the very next book in your Bible. should be the book of Judges. Just a couple chapters over from where we just read this incredible, like, um, meeting of the minds. This great, like, we're on the same team type thing. And now we move into something that just absolutely blows our minds. Remember the whole story of the Israelites is that when, um, when they were in Egypt enslaved, that there were, when they first showed up to Egypt way back when, there were 70 of them that came. 70 people showed up to Egypt. We fast forward 400 years, there's over a million of them. They just massively populated that area. Um, they, they were so powerful that the Egyptians enslaved them because they were afraid of them. They wouldn't want them to take over. So once Moses comes on the scene and begins to lead the people out, uh, there's, this, there's this major loss in Egypt because all their labor force just left and all their extra hands just left. But, but we have this new people group and they're, they're wandering and they're trying to take over and we see all these really great things and uh, their desert experience and all that kind of stuff. And... and we see now that they've resolved their own conflict within each other. They're settled in their land. And we just think, what could go wrong? Like everything is, is stacked in their favor. All they got to do is just live and live how God wants them to live. And everything's going to be fine. And Judges chapter 2 happens and, and Joshua dies. This is probably the scariest, like should shake you to the core passage of Scripture that we've read through this entire summer. Judges chapter 2, verse 8. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Eris 
in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gosh. Okay, that just tells you where they buried Joshua. Verse 10. After that, everybody, if you had a pen or pencil, you should circle that. After that, the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers. Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who didn't know God or what he had done for Israel. And I read this and I go, how in the world could that happen? Like that statement and that verse should just haunt us as church people. How could there be a whole generation that could grow up after everything that God had done and after everything He had shown Himself faithful to, after all the miracles, after all the things He had accomplished, how can the next generation grow up and not even know who He is? And my answer to that is look around. Look around you. Because we are one generation away from it happening again. One that's why, listen, that's why I put so much effort and, and energy into our children and our student and our young adult ministries because they are the next generation that are coming up. I have never and I will never neglect the middle-aged and the older generations of Emmanuel Baptist Church. You guys are the ones who have shown us and shown the younger generations what it means to be faithful, what it means to do ministry, what it means to live a life that's devoted to Christ. You guys are doing it. And listen, I will even say this. There are some of you that still need to understand who Jesus is and what He's done for you, okay? That's why we don't neglect you. But we also put a lot of emphasis on the younger generation because we are one generation away from it all going away. One generation away from kids growing up not knowing anything about who God is or what He's done for us. One generation away. I spent 22 years of my life in student ministry. 22 years of my life devoted to, to teaching and pouring into students who are in junior high and high school. And since I've become your pastor, I continue to do that. I do that kind of with the back seat now because Dustin, and I'm so glad that he's got the connection that he's got. But now I get to pour into those kids. I love going to kids camp because I get to pour into those kids and tell them about what it means to live a life that's defined by Christ. Why? Because we're one generation away. And listen, I, I'm in my... I'm in my 40s now. Last Sunday was my birthday. For my birthday, I got to go to kids camp. Right? And so now I'm officially 41 years old. 41, which made me feel really good because all the kids were like, how old are you, Mr. Matt? Like 30, 32? I was like, yeah. Um, so now I'm 40. I'm in my 40s. And in my 40s, I can sit back and go, you know what? Whatever happens in church, I'm good with because I'm saved. I have my eternal destination and my eternal security is, is bought and paid for. I know that when I die, I'm happily going to heaven. What can I do to invest in the next generation to make sure they can say the same thing? And listen, church, we've got a lot of people in here who have that same mindset of what can I do to invest in the next generation? What can I do to make sure that we're not just one generation away? That, that my generation can pour into the next generation that can pour into the next generation because guess what? We're just one away. And if we sit back with our arms crossed and our heads kind of scowled and a little look on our face going, well, if we don't do this the way I want it, I'm not happy and I'm already saved, but I still want it about me. And I don't care about those. Nobody says that out loud, but maybe we think it. I don't care if those kids are happy or not. Listen, we're one generation away. And, and I don't care as long as Jesus is being preached, how it's preached. And I don't care what music they listen to. Listen, I think that whenever I get to be old, that the music in church is going to be something I'm going, huh. if it's dance music, oh my gosh. Like I can't, I can't stand it. But you know what? If my kids are like, praise the Lord, some, some what's it called? Um, boots and cats and boots and cats and boots and cats music. If, if that's what they're praising God to, I'm going to be like, get it, bud. I don't care. Because as long as you're connecting to God, I connect to God. And, and I, I'm secure and I'm saved and I know it and I want my next generation and I want my kids and I want my grandkids and I want my great-grandkids to know whatever reaches them with the gospel of Jesus is what's most important because church, just like the Israelites, we're one generation away. And so, the unthinkable happens and the Israelites grow and they get comfortable 
They get into what they have, and they, they get very, oh, this is our land. Look what we did. Look what all I accomplished. And they didn't pour in the next. And that generation dies out, just like every generation dies out. And that next generation grew up and had no idea who God was or what he had done for the Israelites or why they were even living where they were living or how they even got there. Now, there were some because we have priests and we have, uh, we have some prophets that show up through the Old Testament and some things that happen. You read through the rest of the story, you, you, get, introduced into, uh, you get introduced to King David eventually at the end of Judges and uh, into Samuel. It's where Samuel the priest gets into King David. So we have pockets of people who are faithful, who are faithful to God. But the majority of the Israelites grew up not knowing. And the time of the judges is 400 years. Can you imagine the decay in spiritual understanding from a generation that saw God part the Red Sea to 400 years later where they don't have any idea who he is? At the end of the book of Judges, it says that Each man did what they wanted. There was no king in Israel, meaning that God was not king in Israel. He just, nobody acknowledged God anymore. The unthinkable happened because they didn't didn't look to what's going to happen next. Church, I'm just telling you, and this is how we're wrapping up today. told you it was three little mini sermons in one. We cannot overlook this next generation. When it comes to our children's ministry, our student ministry, our young adult ministry, our young married ministry, these are the ones who are having the babies and getting them involved in church. We've got to do everything we can do. We cannot overlook and will not overlook the older and the middle-aged. We're not going to do that. But we're one generation away. We have this incredible fulfillment of promise. We have this surprising resolution to conflict. And then we have them just completely drop the ball on the back. That's the story of the Israelites. I wish I could keep going. I mean, I wish I could go all the way through Judges and talk about the the good ones and the bad ones. I wish we could go through King David and his sons and the good ones and the bad ones and the split kingdom. Listen, we could talk about the history of Israel forever. It's incredible. It's deep and it's rich and it's so cool. It's so like, wow. But from what we studied this summer, through the wandering of the dry seasons. What can we do? What can we not do? How can we learn? What are some of the mistakes we don't need to to repeat? Listen, this morning, we can't repeat that. If you don't get anything from this morning, we cannot lose a whole future because the next generation doesn't know. It's next Wednesday night, not this coming week, but the next on August the 14th. We launch all of our Wednesday night activity. Our student ministry launches back. Our children's ministry launches back. Everything on Wednesday nights are focused towards family ministries. And we're going to have 200 kids in this building who we are going to love and point to Jesus. We're going to do everything that we can do because we realize that they're the future. That at some point, those kids are going to become adults, and those adults are going to either choose to come to church or not to come to church. They're going to choose to either bring their families to church or not bring their families to church. I've been here for 13 years. The students who were seniors, the very first crop of seniors that we graduated, are now in their 30s. It's weird. And in their 30s, They've got families, and they've got husbands and wives and kids, and they're making decisions to either be plugged in or not plugged in. It's all based on what they learned when they were in their student ministry. Listen, do you know that what happens on Wednesday nights is not the, how do I say this correctly? We are not the sole spiritual instructors for your children. If you're leaving all the spiritual guidance to your kids up to your staff, then we're going to fall short every time because it's not not our job to be the sole spiritual instructors to your kids. It's your job as parents. 
You've got to pour into that generation. You've got to tell your kids what's right and what's wrong. Not just because mama said so or because grandma said so. Because this is what the Bible teaches us. We cannot make that mistake. We will not make that mistake. Emmanuel will not make that mistake. So church, here's where we're going to end our, our study. Understanding of a good promise, surprising resolution, and an unthinkable, let it be a never attaining unthinkable moment. Let us do all that we can do. Listen, if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I need to really step up what I'm doing to invest. I'm secure. I'm saved. I know where I'm going. I am a, I am a child of God, but man, there's kids down here that need to know who, who he is. I'll do whatever I can do. God, use me. I'm not calling for volunteers. That's not what the altar call is. I'm calling for people who love Jesus to love others and point them to him. You can do that in your family. You can do that at your house. You can do that at the church. You can do that in your circle. The ending of the story is kind of a down one. It will not be ours. If you're here this morning, you don't understand why God would love you to even have you invest in somebody else, then this is your opportunity to make a decision about that. If you're here this morning, you're going, listen, I just need to be, I need a part of that family. I need to be a part. I've been on the other side of the river. And I need to be, I need a part of a church that's that's involved in what God's involved in, who's, who's loving people the way God loves people. Then this is your opportunity to join the church. If this is just a chance for you to get recentered before we start the fall, this is your chance. I'm going to ask you to stand and bow your head. TJ's going to come and sing. Dustin and I will be here if you need to talk to somebody, if you need to pray with somebody, if you just need us to encourage you and pray with you, we'd love to do that. This is your opportunity. Hey, this is Matt Overall. I'm the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or our online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.